Cutting for Sign with Ron Cecil and Daniel Pinnerklein. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling. Eyes like the sky. Cecil, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Today I've got Kenny Hamlet coming to us from his bus, bus of adventure. <laughs> yes, the bus of adventure. Nice to meet you guys. How are you guys yeah, doing today? You as well. We're doing good, man. I'm doing well. How are you doing, Daniel? Terrible. Thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Can I go? Well, we won't dwell on that. Man. We won't dwell on that. <laughs> he might need to emote for a little while. It's just, it's best just to let him finish. <laughs> Yeah, man. Kenny, what are you doing on a bus? Why do you live on a bus? Man, um, this is a part of my quarter-life century crisis. Uh, <laughs> I Okay, so when I was in, in high school, I came across tiny homes, and I was, like, obsessed with them. And we had this little barn in the backyard, and I was trying to convince my dad to let me build it out. And he's like, nah, don't don't touch it. And then I went in, cleaned it all out, got it prepped, stoked his can I, am I allowed to cuss? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, wait, uh, it stumped as hell to, like, get in there and, 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 like, start to make it a space to live out of. And the second I got it clean, like, spick and span, he then decided he was going to turn it into a hay barn. Uh, and so he's going to our horse's hay into, into yeah. this, this space that was going to be my home. Uh, then fast forward, I went to college and studied finance and business. Um, graduated, went on to work for, um, this company called the standard, which is an insurance company. And I worked in their finance team for a while, a couple of years, and then, uh, got a promotion and went to the analyst side of things on the insurance side. And at that time I like started to realize I actually just hated what I was doing. Um, and I was getting more and more fascinated with the dream life, right? Like just dreaming on, living in a bus and adventuring and doing something completely different with my life. And I picked up a camera one day and just started shooting. And like, I'm just, I'm out with buddies and I pick up his camera. I was like, Hey, can I use this? And I took a couple of photos of my friend climbing and just was like, what the F like, <laughs> like being able to capture this moment, like perfectly the way that I saw it it just completely like flipped my world upside down. So then the next week I went out and bought a camera and I would just skip my lunch breaks and go shoot every single day. Um, and then I got enough work where I was like, okay, I think, I think I'm ready to make the leap. So I saved up a little bit of money. Um, and then I had enough client work and I quit my job. And then a couple of days later, I bought a bus. <laughs> real, real quick, man. Can you, where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? And what was the time frame here? Yeah, um, so I grew up in this little town called Roy, Washington, but went to school in the city of Tacoma. Um, then when I graduated, I went to first University of Idaho, which was quite honestly a shit show. Like I just wasn't, I wasn't prepared for school and uh, I was an athlete as well. And so I would just party a lot and not really focus on the education side of things. And so then by my second year, the first semester, I joined a fraternity, which made it even harder to focus on school. Um, and things just kind of got carried away. My coach 
at the time decided she was going to leave and my brother was going to school in Utah. And so she went to Utah State, didn't know my brother was already there. So she had this meeting and met the team and she never told our team this. And I don't even know if this story has actually been told before, but <laughs> so um, she went to Utah State and my brother calls me. He's like, bro, your favorite coach is here. And I was like, what are you talking about? Nate never said he was going to go to like collegiate coaching. And he's like, nah, your second favorite coach. And I was like, Coach Murray got a coaching job. And he's like, come on, dude, Yogi's here, <laughs> which is my college coach at the time. And I was like, so then uh, in the middle of this call, I started to get a call from Yogi because the meeting is over, which is my college coach at University of Idaho, who didn't even tell the, the like anyone on the team or anything that she was potentially leaving. She was just what sport, going. What sport were you playing? Track and field. Okay. Okay. Um, didn't tell anyone she was leaving. And so I get this, this call from her and she's like, don't say anything to anyone. I don't even know if I'm taking this job, but my brother had literally just told me she officially had been announced as the head coach or like as the, the sprints and jumps coach. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, shoot, uh, I have a lot to figure out. I don't even like, there was the only reason I was staying at university of Idaho was because of this coach that was giving me an opportunity. Cause I wasn't a great athlete, but, at like from high school, I didn't have the numbers, but I was like athletic. And so she saw that in me and gave me a chance. And granted that whole entire freshman year of mine, I was ineligible. So I would literally just go to practice every single day. I'd watch their practices. Then in the evening when everyone left Kibbe Dome, I would go out and do the practices. And so I would train on my own because I was ineligible, which we found out like 60 days into practice, which is how clearinghouse goes. Um, and so then, you know, then the next year I come out and, uh, obviously she's getting ready to transfer and my grades are shit in the bed. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do. So then Thanksgiving break comes around. I drive out to Utah to go visit my brother and was just enamored by this like beautiful place. Um, and I just never had seen that much snow before either. <laughs> like, it was crazy. It was such a, like a, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was, there was just like this ah moment, you know, like, this is it. Like you, you just gotta, you just gotta take the leap of faith. And so I transferred schools and then ended up getting the scholarship when I transferred over there. Um, but it was, yeah, it was just like, it was, that was, I think one of those first moments where I was just like, listen to your gut and just fucking like, do it. Like you just never know. Yeah. Um, so I transferred over to, to Utah State, uh, which then I cleaned up like just everything kind of in my life at the time. Like I stopped going out and partying as much, um, just really focused on, I wouldn't say as much school, but definitely focused in on track a lot more um, and, and cleaned up my grades a lot as well. Like I obviously I graduated, so <laughs> I was able to graduate, which I don't think I would have done if I stayed at University of Idaho. Hmm. Um, and so then after I graduated, I moved back to the Pacific Northwest and moved um, first to Salem and then to Portland. Mm-hmm. And so now I live in Portland. And you were working at that uh, insurance company downtown. Sounds like. Yeah. Working at the insurance company downtown. Um, that was a year after I graduated and I worked there for three, three years, I want to say three years. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time, um, you, it sounds like you were still an outdoors guy. Like it sounds like you grew up around in like in agriculture. Does that seem right? Uh, yeah. Like agriculture, we have a a small pig farm growing up Yeah, and, uh, and then just like goats and chickens and a horse and dogs and cats and stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Pigs at one point. (laughs) So So kind of a little bit of all of that and then live the city life. Cause I like, 
my, my both my parents work and so we just stay at our grandma's house all day and uh until my mom got off work and she'd pick us up until once we started driving and getting into sports, which that was like later in high school, once we finally got into sports, like I didn't grow up playing sports, just kind of like playing with cousins. And it was that um, insurance job that where you would take your lunches and go start shooting. Is that where that started? Yeah. Yeah. So after I went and I'm going to let that truck pass real fast. (laughs) (laughs) So after I after I picked up the camera the first time when I was climbing with friends, where were we climbing? Where were we at? Oh, uh, we were in at Carver in Oregon. So okay. it's just like a, like a close local bouldering field. Yeah. And so we were out bouldering, and um, man, I can I can, it was like this little V five problem also, which we all like a couple of us ended up uh, climbing that route not that day but uh, the next season. Um, but there's it, it like. I remember I walked into the camera store and was like, hey, I, I, I don't know what I want, but I want a camera and I want to be able to shoot something that I can shoot sports, which is funny because now I don't shoot like any any like outdoor activities. And now I'm coming back to that, which is what my YouTube channel is going to be about, um, something similar to that. But and so then they, they were just like, oh, Sony a6000, that's a good camera for you. And I was like, I don't know anything about cameras. Sure. Like <laughs> whatever you say I'm going to get, I'm going to get. And so I bought it and then I'd go out literally every single day instead of eating lunch i would just go out and do street photography and just kind of figuring out the camera settings kind of figuring out like composition i didn't know what i didn't know what i was doing but it just it just made sense to me if that makes any yeah. sense like yeah i could totally. see i could see the world and capture those moments and so i just kind of got like hooked into that and I, I just kept shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting every single freaking day. Like I, there was not a day that I would go by that I wasn't shooting. And so then I got decent enough and I started figuring out social media and I pitched my very first client, which is uh, this company called boy sport. And I just watched YouTube videos to figure out how I could like write a pitch deck. Cause I didn't know how to write a pitch deck yeah. or anything. And I've just watched probably, I would say probably like 20 hours of YouTube videos <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. The big, this pitch deck um finally got it and then i pitched them and they said yes and it was my very first pitch very first client um and so then they were like my first client that i started working with and so we would have like these meetings during my lunch and it would just be about marketing and what they wanted to accomplish yeah and i would realize like i'd be so juiced and like jazz like excited about these meetings and then i'd come back into work and just be like fuck i don't want to be here like i hate yeah i'm dying here and to give some context for people outside of our world, outside of Portland, you were working for maybe one of the biggest employers in downtown Portland in like in the Definitely. most kind of matrix office setting that you could imagine. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yes. It's and, like what you see in movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Boys Fort is a, is a kind of a famous retailer in Portland in that they were like, they were... Um, seasonal at first and then they've kind of like they really cool curated stuff curated is like the hottest marketing word in portland in the last decade and you know and i think portland prides itself on curating fucking everything salt <laughs> knives <laughs> socks like whatever the fuck you want to mean curating hand-picked like hand yeah. hand-picked like you know it's what a the the title curator would be given to a guy who like finds the pieces of art in a museum yeah, that's the only yeah. context I know it in. Oh. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So, um, so for some guy who bought a, a you know an entry level mirrorless camera for for uh, Sony, um, I don't know if that's an entry level, you know. But yeah, no, it is. It's definitely their entry level camera. Yeah. Suddenly, you had the balls to to you know take like one to ten steps forward to read you know, and I also want to say that the lands the marketing landscape of Portland is like a feeding frenzy in the Great Barrier Reef. Like we live in the epicenter of marketing bullshit. Like we have the yeah. biggest agencies on the West Coast. Like we have like everybody who is connected to marketing is going to name drop all of the big companies in town mm-hmm. and said that they've worked for them. And uh, it's it's like kind of disgusting and also kind of amazing. And yes. And so you're like one in a million, like you're not, or not even one in a million. You're like, you know, you're a, you're a, as common as anybody any, here. <laughs> say that again. I said one in everybody here. Cause everyone here owns a camera, can be a photographer, totally. do something marketing. It's, it's like, you're, and it, it's like, it's, it's so difficult to stand out. And that's why yeah. I think that I went the social media route instead of photography. Cause I was like photography, there's no way in hell I'm going to get a job. Like yeah. I'm just like, I, I see the the standard of work and I knew that I wasn't necessarily there, but I knew that I could get there and I wanted to find a way to get paid to get there. And it, and, and just the fact that you did that says something about your work because it's really hard to be, to stand out and yeah. Great job. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so then you, then you like, you unplugged, right? Like you hit the ejector seat at the, at that office building and you started doing all this work. Uh, and I also want to touch on the fact that like, I've been in the outdoor industry. I was, a, I've been a rock climber since 1997. Holy shit. An avid rock climber. I've caught, I've, I have rock climbed all over North America, all like from Mexico to Canada, Europe, Africa, like I've been a lot of places and, and, you know, we're going to put this in two places, mostly on the podcast and also YouTube. I can count on my hands how many friends of mine are climbers and a person of color. And, and I want to point that out because it's yeah. uncommon and it needs to not be uncommon. Mm-hmm. And, and you are in that world. So like, how are all of these like uncom like you're like in one way having to like show your like be seen, like be seen out in your work. And another way, like you're, you totally stand out in other ways. And you seem you're a kind of guy that is obviously like very, very comfortable with who you are. Like you can see that right away just talking to you. So like did any of those things were ever I know I've just asked you a lot of stuff. Um, no, no, no. I'm 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 tracking. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> but I mean, like, what was that? What number one, what's it been like to do something as a as a black man in the in the outdoor industry in the Pacific Northwest? Like like every time I so I so so you know, I grew up the only white kid in an all-Hispanic neighborhood. And my best friend was the only black kid in all Hispanic neighborhood. And, and so every time I'm in a room full of white people, I'm like, I'm a little nervous. I don't know why, but I'm a little nervous because I'm not my childhood. That was not the case. And and so if I'm in a room and I see any other person of color, I'm like, you know, I'm just like, Hey, how's it going? Are you okay? And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) So like, like, tell me, what's it been like for you as a black dude climbing? Like, well, I mean, like, that's its a whole other thing. I'm going to bring it back around. But 
Yeah, no, um, for me, so when I, that's actually how I got into, into social media and everything. Yeah. Um, I started climbing when I graduated college the year after I went back to Utah to visit some friends and they were just like, Hey, you want to climb? And I'm like, hell no, but I'll, <laughs> I'll go with you guys. Yeah. And, uh, and then they just were like, come on, just try it. Just try it. Just try it. And I'm like, all right, cool. Peer pressure. You won. I'm going to yeah. try it. And I remember just like getting on the wall. And just like looking at this tiny ass rope, first of all, and being like, that, that shit is not holding my big ass body. Like, that, <laughs> not going to happen. Whatever. I, whatever. Like, you're telling me I'm fine. I'm fine. Whatever. So then I, I get on the wall. And normally I, I like will search things before I do it. I want to put my time in and figure out like if it's something that I should or shouldn't do. Didn't do it with the climbing thing. It was just a spontaneity moment. I was just like, all right, cool. I get on the wall and I'm climbing. And I was just like, dang, I'm tired. I want to come down. <laughs> and they're like no keep trying like you got to yeah. try harder i'm wearing my friends like shoes that are like two sizes too small which is funny because now that's the actual climbing shoe that i would that's wear, what like, you wear yeah. now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like to put it in reference he wears a size nine street shoe and i wear a size 11 street shoe and so i'm like squeezing my freaking feet into these things and like this this board just sucks all the way around yeah and they're they're just like come on you got it you got it just like keep climbing and then i get higher and higher up where i'm like all right i'm out of my comfort zone now I'm like yeah this is too high off the ground i don't want to do this i don't trust the rope and i'm like clenched onto the rock like <laughs> like nah guys like just lower me and they're like no you gotta do it and i'm like i don't even want to fucking i don't even i don't even want to let go because I'm going to freaking fall to my death because this rope is going to snap. There's no way it's holding me. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not letting you down. And so... Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so they, like, made me go up, kiss chains. They lowered me down. And after I kissed the chains, I was like, this sport is so fucking amazing. Because like, I, I pushed myself further than I normally mentally would. And yeah. I hadn't had that experience since I ran track in college. Because it's always, like, in in at that level, your coaches are going to push stuff at you that like physically they know that you should be able to get close to accomplishing it. But mentally you have to get past so many barriers and that's what climbing was. And I was, it just like, same thing as buying my camera. Like I went home, bought climbing shoes, a chalk bag, and then joined planet granite. And I climbed five times a week. Like I was climbing way too much in the beginning, managed to not get hurt and just got obsessed. And then I started to realize like there were no black people around when I go climb, there were hardly yeah. any people of color at all yeah and i'd go out to like i'd go to like red rocks i'm in utah climbing i'm like going all over the country climbing bishop arizona like just everywhere i even climbed in ireland uh when i went to ireland and yeah. and there's just like I, I started recognizing that there were no people of color doing the sport so then i started looking into it and i found uh um bot crew which is yeah. brothers of climbing i follow and those then, guys yeah. Yeah. And so I found them and I saw that they were doing a color of the crag event. And I started meeting with some of my black friends out here and was like, we got to do something about this shit. Like yeah. there's got to be something out in the Northwest for us. Cause there are so many, like there are not, there are enough of us where there's a community, but there's no one that's really doing anything. So then I started this page called climbing in color. Um, oh, hey. and started, uh, I started writing for melanin base camp. And when I started writing for melanin base camp, it was it was crazy because at the time, like she didn't have a huge following. And now if you look her up, she, they like, Danielle has like 85,000 followers or something crazy like that. And they're pushing out article after article. And it's amazing uh, because I was a part of the start of that. And it just, it was cool because like, it was like therapy. I got to write about shit that I was experiencing. And then people were actually reading it and then commenting on it. And that, like, it was, it was, it was good. Like I felt like I was heard 
for like that one time and like seen for that one time. And so that was, that was amazing. And then because of the writing, I also got into like modeling, which is funny because that's how I ended up getting into filmmaking. Uh, <laughs> Dude, so I'm just, so glad I asked you about that. Like, I was like, I don't know if this is going to go somewhere, but it's such a, it, it's, it does. It all comes, it yeah. all comes back and wraps around. And so, and, and because of that, I got into like modeling. My first modeling gig was with Marmot. They reached out to my partner actually at the time and asked if she wanted these jackets. And she saw, they saw that she was dating me and they're like, can we send him one as well? Um, and I was like, hell yeah, send me a jacket. I'll wear it. Yeah. And then yeah. we, I like did this video of me doing a back tuck in the climbing gym, just like a backflip. And, uh, and then it's they reached the back, back out. It's just a backflip, guys. <laughs> Simple backflip. And they is. reached out to us and we're like, hey, do you guys want to be a part of our next campaign? And I was like, what? I'm not a model. Yeah, you're a guess. And so then that turned into like one modeling gig and then another and another. And then I got picked up by an agency in town, which is option, which is crazy because they're like the biggest, best yeah. agency in Portland. Yeah. Um, like all the big brands use them. Yeah. And, and my, then my son's uh, with option and, I, and I've done a little work for option too. <laughs> and by the way, I live across the street from uh, Planet Granite. Oh shit! Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I almost moved to there. the I almost moved to the apartments next uh, next door to the south wall because yeah. I was like, I just want to climb every day, and if I'm yeah. like there, walk over and climb. And I realized I was just it was like I was starting to become like way too obsessed. Is there only Uh-oh. one Planet Granite <laughs> in Portland? There's one Planet Granite in Portland. So you were climbing at the same spot. Yeah, probably at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I actually tried to quit climbing, and and then we we've been in this neighborhood for a while, and then Planet Granite showed up, and like I was like, well, I can't, I can't, <laughs> and then I like I became a I like I remember paying for a full year family membership before mm-hmm. they even opened their doors, and nice. yeah, you definitely yeah. quit at that point. <laughs> so share something that Ronald did recently. We actually were. Well, I guess we didn't have a whole podcast discussion on it, but it yeah. was kind of the center of it. Um, it was Half Dome, correct? Yeah. And the way that you climbed it was called what? Um, in a day. <laughs> well, I know you did it yeah. in a day, but yeah, it's yeah. not free. Just for the lay person. I've done some climbing way back 20 years ago, but I don't know the lingo anymore. It was like not free climbing. Not free ropes, soloing. Not free soloing. Yeah, but I free climbed it. But I did. Well, I, I, I didn't free climb every pitch because there was some hard pitches in there that I just – I. I climbed the rope following yeah. the following a guy who was free climbing the harder pitches. Um, but it was, it was a great, it was like a dream. You know, I was like, you like the climbing bug bit me like hard, like nothing else in my life ever had. And I grew up in a, in, in Eastern New Mexico, there's no cliffs, there's no rocks. There's like nothing <laughs> out there. Yeah. And, and I, you know, found it at like summer camp or something. And then, happened to move to a town in in north dallas that had this uh one of the first rock gyms in the whole country that was that was open in the 90s that was made in the in 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 a uh, grain silo and and suddenly you know this like teenage boy can now climb hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet at a session because you like some of those routes were 110 feet tall yeah and you know, when you're 17 and just raging testosterone and move, like all of a sudden you're, you have this like giant neck and like <laughs> tiny chest and like big triceps. Um, and we got to travel a lot. We'd go to Mexico, we'd go, you know, all over doing that. But it's just like, there was pictures of Yosemite. I'd never even heard of Yosemite. Like I was like, what the, you know, but I saw these pictures, these posters, these stories. And I was like, 
I have to go there one day. And I did a few times, but I never climbed a big wall. And finally, you know, I'm 40 now. And as I was like 39, I was like, I can't, I can't die and not have at least tried to climb a big wall. Yeah. And, uh, and so some stars aligned and like it all, it all happened. And You've got to share those stars though, man. It's one of my favorite stories. I don't, uh, the guy at the, at the, what? No. Yeah. I mean, it's so good, man. So, um, uh, so a friend of mine who started climbing at the same time, we're the same age. So we're both in our late thirties. We're both like, you know, we have careers we've got, we, we've done, you know, we have like all these boxes and the trappings of those boxes, right? Like mm-hmm. when you have those things, like you can't necessarily train the level that you need to, to go do something like that. But exactly. one of the things I have is, well, I live across the street from climbing gym, you know, um, I'm my own boss. And so I get to make my schedule. This guy's his own boss, so he can make his own schedule. So we ended up being at the gym four or five times a week, you know, doing two to three hour sessions and working out and, you know, just doing all the things that we were doing to get ready. And, um, and this guy is like, he, he was, you know, he's the real deal. He's a rope gun. I mean, he can, he can get it done. And months out, we were, climbing every big wall north of of the California border all the way into Canada to get ready. And he got really sick in the process. Like something happened where the doctors were like, we don't know what's going on with you, but it's, we're going to do a lot of blood work. And, um, and the week before we were supposed to go, he's like, but I'm out. I can't do this. And, and at that point, I don't know if you know much about half dome, but like, it had had a few rock falls, a couple pitches of, of the Northwest face regular route got erased. And, uh, and some guys like just basically made a bolt ladder through that erased part. And then down, you know, like a little bit down from that route, there's a, there's a square block, a city square block size piece of granite that's moving and they don't know when it's going to come off. And, and so there's like these warnings. It's like, Hey, don't walk up the bottom of the route of the base. Cause like, you know, if you do, you, you like just know that you could get squished like a bug. Yeah. And, um, so I was like waking up in the middle of the night, like thinking of scenarios like that, like, holy shit, like the chimneys, there's three pitches of chimneys, squeeze chimneys. Yeah. Like, they just might come off. Like they could just come off. And you know, that's like crazy nightmares you're having. And, and so he bails or he doesn't bail. He can't go. And I'm like, thank God. Like, thank God. I'm like, not going to do this. I don't have to do this. And, and my wife is like, no, you're, you know, you can't, you can't not go. You've got to go. <laughs> don't come home till you're proud. And, and, uh, and I'm glad she did. And on the way down there, like I knew I had this like kind of intuition. I was going to meet a German guy to climb. And, um, and I don't know why I thought it needed to be a German dude, but it just did. And, and the very first guy I meet down there is a German kid and, um, and he helps me and we, we climb together and it becomes pretty apparent that he's like, not the guy to help me. Um, he's just not quite up to speed to like get on that size of a project. And, and I'm like, well, guess it's not going to be a German guy. And so I'm texting guys. If you climb Yosemite. No, I haven't. That's that's like next up on the list. I'm actually reading Camp Four right now, so it's funny that you're telling me this story. So I went, so I went to Camp Four's bulletin board where where people leave their numbers, and you know the, the tradition is you leave a note with your number and your list of objectives, 
And, and so I found one guys and he has this, he's got um, a list that's the same as my list. Mm-hmm. And I text him and we just keep missing each other. And, <laughs> and finally I'm just like, well, I'll lead every pitch and just drag this one German guy with me and he'll just have to deal with it. And we're, we'll do it over three days. And, and thunderstorm stopped us like lightning, like you can see lightning hitting the top of half dome. And cool. we were like, guess we're not going yeah. up there. Uh, and so finally, and then I get, then I get the flu. Like I can feel it starting to like yeah. get in my body and I'm just pounding medicine from the, from the grocery store. And, and at the grocery store, I ended up running into this other climber and uh, who also happened to be German. Like they started speaking to each other in German. I'm like, huh? Okay. And he, this kid like had just um, climbed uh, the nose. He'd, he'd like done a lot of the big, big routes there, big walls there. Anyway, we ended up doing it in a day. We did a car to car in 26 hours, wow. and, uh, 19 hours on the wall and just hauled ass. And, and I, and, you know, I'm, I wish I had done it in my twenties, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm glad I went and did it. I'm glad I went and did it. It's good. I, you know, if you just get out there, know you're going to be weighing over your head, no matter what, like, but you'll learn fast. It's pretty badass. Okay. Now's the time to go, man. COVID is like keeping that place quiet. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not in climbing shape at all to to get out there. I had I like put climbing, climbing like went to the back burner when I was learning filmmaking. Honestly, like I had um, in that time frame, I was like, I have to like I was in a relationship and I was trying to change careers again because I was a photographer, and then I lost all of my clients, and I was like, all right, like the universe is making you start over. What Mm. do you want to actually do right now with your life? Like, that's a good question. Right. Yeah. And so I like realized that like I wasn't that passionate about photography and I didn't necessarily like I I loved it. But what I really loved was the story involved in photography, which is why I like street photography, because you kind of go out and you're just like observing people's lives. Yeah. And that's all filmmaking truly is, especially on the documentary side of things. Mm -hmm. You're just observing someone's life and telling their story. Um so I, I was like, well, F it. I'm just going to get into video work. And um, I just had to figure out a way to, to like still again, make money doing it. Cause documentary work is not the way to, to make money. In- <laughs> How long ago was that? What year was that? This is a year ago. Oh, okay. So you uh, almost filmmaking very recently. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of this is in, in, in a very short period of time. I picked up a camera my first time about three years ago. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Ever. The first time I ever picked up a camera was about three years ago. And, um, and that point two years in, I lost all my client work and then I was like, all right, got to figure it out. Um, I had like this, this, this book deal that kind of like floated me for a tiny bit. Cause it was a pretty decent sized project. And then, I like lost, like lost all my clients, didn't have any money, like negative a thousand dollars in my checking account, had to do Postmates to like figure it out. And I'm still like in this relationship that I'm trying to work at. No, I lived in that, in the house at the time. I hadn't even, the bus was empty. It was gutted. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't put any time or energy into it. This bus story is funny because once I broke up with my partner or like our, our relationship ended, I was like, oh shit, I don't I don't know where I'm gonna live. Uh <laughs> and so then at that time I was like, all right, like you gotta actually finish this bus. It's like this project that's just like sitting over your head this entire time. Like you need to yeah. finish it. Um and so in the like in two months leading up to us moving out, I was like, all right, you gotta gut it all, put 
the installation in and get a bed frame in. And so I like, that was what I lived in, um, in August when uh, I moved out into the bus. Yeah. Um, by the so, way, I, I want to ask you about your, your documentary and the filmmaking project. Uh, you're never in climbing shape for Yosemite. So you okay. just have to go and just let Yosemite train you because you know, you can be black belt and get just like slammed on the floor there. You still train your ass yep. off. I still train my ass off, but like, you got to just know that like, you're going to get wrecked and, um, and it's only climbing in Yosemite that makes you ready for Yosemite. The other part of that story, and and this is, um, uh, one thing that was also scaring the shit out of me is my best friend whose name is also Daniel, that we started climbing together as teenagers. And he's Mm -hmm. like, he's like a five fit 14 climb. Like he's climbed five fourteens. He lives in Bishop. He's climbed big walls. He did. He, he, I think he just missed climbing the nose in a day. Anyway, he's a badass climber. He's an incredible athlete. And he was trying to talk me out of climbing half dome and, and did so like a few times. Like, you know, you don't need to do that. Like just try something else. Why? He didn't think I could do it. <laughs> that was too big a project to start. And, uh, <laughs> so fuck you, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, like go back to the documentary, man. Like, uh, like you're, I, he and I, Daniel, this Daniel and I were just talking about like our passion for story, like our, like our love for story and how much we're always looking for the story and it sounds like you got bit by that story bug as well. And, and in your, you know, in this moment of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like you were like, I'm not, I'm going to double down on story. I'm going to double down on filmmaking. Like yeah. what was, what was the door that opened over there? Um, so when I, when I got into like the, the filmmaking side of things, um, what happened was I had this uh, production company called Muse reach out to me and they're like, Hey, we need a, we need a model for this, this project. Um, are you interested in, and I was like, uh, I don't know. Like what, what's your guys' rate? Um, and their rate was shit. And I was like, well, I definitely am not going to go through. I don't even know if I should even say this out loud because it's probably going to get me in trouble, but it's <laughs> fine. Uh, I was like, I definitely shouldn't go through the agency because they're not going to let me take it at that rate. Cause it was like a hundred bucks. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I can't shoot with you guys for a hundred dollars. Like that, that doesn't, that's like my, like the rate through the agency is 150 an hour. Like I, the entire day. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, Holy shit, I, I don't know if I should take it. And I'm talking with my partner at the time. And I'm like, this is an opportunity to meet a production company that's local. And I've been really trying to do that and get into video um and she's like i don't know maybe just take it and i'm like yeah but they're not paying me shit to do and she's like but you just said you wanted to do it for the opportunity to meet this this production company i'm like yeah you're right yeah i'm gonna take it no this is so dumb and i'm like back and forth battling myself and then i was just like you know what fuck it like i might as well who knows what's gonna come of it it's like i'm doing this for the opportunity to like meet someone and potentially get work in the industry Mm. and um that's basically what happened i Went and worked with them, hit it off with the 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 DP that they had hired and um, one of the assistants there. And then I was like, hey, like, you guys are dope people. And they're like, yeah, come back to our office. We'll show you our space. And so I was like, just walked in and was like, holy fuck, I, this is good. I'm going to work here. Hmm. Um, 
And then I was like, hey, like, how do I like PA for you guys or something the next time you guys yeah. need someone? And then they're like, oh, yeah, we'll definitely contact you. Like, now we know that you're local and you are interested in the, in the industry. Um, never contacted me. Then they reached out to me. I'm like, hey, we need you again for a reshoot. And I'm like, cool. So I come back and then we reshoot. Um, and I was like, hey, again, like, I would like to work with you guys. Uh, and again, didn't go through the agency for it. And they paid me $100 again for the day. <laughs> And I'm like, I'd like to work with you guys. And they're like, yeah, 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 we'll definitely work with you for sure. And then they needed me again for another reshoot. Um, and I was like, hey, I'd like to work with you guys. Same conversation. And they're like, yeah, we'll definitely contact you. And I'm like, these guys are never going to contact me. And then I'm walking to the grocery store and I run into the girl again. And I'm like, hey, still want to work for you guys. Like nothing's changed. This is the fourth time I've seen you. And I definitely still want to work with you guys. Um, and then they called me like the next day and were like, hey, we need a PA tomorrow. Are you available? And I was like, yep, I'll be there. Um, didn't have a car at the time, but my partner let me borrow her car. And then I went out and PA'd for them for the day and just like busted my ass and just helped everyone on set. It didn't matter if I was helping the camera guys, or the light grip guys. If I was, I would even help them like ransom things for the hair and makeup. Like I was just doing for every single person on set. Um, and then afterwards I was like, Hey, how do I like, how, how can I like work for you guys? And they're like, Oh, just email Patrick because Patrick's the owner. And I was like, I don't cool. I don't have his email, but whatever, I'll figure that out. And I'm like looking and I'm like, Oh, well, everyone's email is just this at newstorytelling.com. I'm going to try emailing Patrick at newstorytelling.com. <laughs> Patrick, get a bunch of emails after this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Patrick. Um, and so I reached out to him and was just like, Hey, like, I love what you guys do. I really want to be, I really want to work for a production company and I taught myself how to be a photographer and I want to learn from like the best. I'll come and work for you guys for free and just fill in time. Mm. Um, like literally just fill in like wherever people are getting distracted from the work they should be doing. And I'll do that work for them. And he was like, no, that doesn't work for me. Um, but we are looking for a, another editor if you're interested in a job. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was going to work for free. Hell yeah. I'll work for you for, uh, for money. Yeah, de right. definitely. And at that time, like I had remind you, I had no client work anymore. So I was like picking up little odd jobs here and there and stuff. Um, and so then I started working for them and had consistent income. I also had very little experience in, in premiere, which is the editing software. Yeah. And they hired me as an editor. So I had to like pick it up overnight like the shit that my work looked like before working for them was crazy because it's like i looked like an amateur and then the very first week they're like cool our main client is four seasons here's your hard drive and your computer we need you to edit a commercial for them and that was it <laughs> so i had to like step up to the plate like major major like overnight and like figure out yeah. all of it and i had very little experience yeah um and i just kind of like just matched them and it, it it worked and i was and i just ended up working for them and then my first week i edit this project and then they're like hey we're um we're trying to set up these booths for lighting for this project for fujifilm the same one that i the same project that i was in um because they were doing this tour and i just kind of was like oh yeah i know lighting a little bit like i watch enough youtube videos i could probably throw something together and then patrick looks at it and he's like yeah that works um yeah this is this works. This is good. Um, and then I go sit down and then someone comes up to me and they're like, Hey, so we're going on a Fujifilm tour next week. This is, this will be my second week of working with them. We're going on a Fujifilm tour next week. You're probably not going to New York, but you're, you're, you're probably going to do the other three. And I was like, Oh, 
uh, okay. And I'm supposed to work like two or three days a week. And then they're like, the next day they're like, Hey, so you're going to New York tomorrow. <laughs> and then it just like, just jumped full in. Like just, there was no time to even process anything there. And I just, just kind of like had to catch up to them and just fucking grind, 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 work, 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 work. And I just like look up and I'm like, Holy shit. Like my work is way better than it used to be. Mm. Um, and then as time went on, I was just like, and we're traveling all over the country, which was amazing. Um, and March hit and we were in Madrid. Um, we came back a couple of days later, Spain closed their doors. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. And we were supposed to be going out to Egypt the next week for like three weeks. And I got canceled. Um, and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Like, had all this anxiety about just life and everything. And I'm like, all right. I I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to just like be a filmmaker to pay the bills. Like I want to start working on my own projects and stuff that I care about. Uh, and then I had come up with this idea of just kind of starting to tell the stories of black people in the outdoor or black and brown people in the outdoors, um, which now goes full circle to the very first camera and wanting to shoot outdoor climbing and just, just be in nature and stuff like that. And so now I'm working on this project. Um, it's called Why We Get Out. Mm. And it's about people of color. It's not always people of color, because I do have a couple of people that I've, like, I'm going to be working with that aren't. Um, but just why people get out in general, and mostly focusing on brown people and female mm. um, athletes. And just, not even athletes, I don't even want to say athletes, but normal people and like why yeah. we get out in the outdoors and talking yeah. about like health aspects and just all the, all the things that have that I've experienced in the outdoors that I feel like other people have as well. And, and it's the content that no one's putting out right now. Like no big brand is, is there. No one's touching these stories. It's always about like these super dope athletes that are doing crazy shit that we'll never do. Like one, we'll never be able to afford to do it. And then two, like I'm never going to be good enough to do that kind of shit. And that's yeah. like, it's inspiring. It makes me want to get out. But at the same time, like, I want to make projects that other people can see themselves doing. Yeah. And so, and telling those stories. And so now it's like full circle back to being in the outdoor world and, and, and telling these stories. Like I still have other clients that I work for, but all my passion pieces at this point are like moving forward. It's just focusing on these outdoor stories. Dude, I'm so glad I asked you what it was like to be a black man in the climbing world. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like yeah. it's informed a hell of a lot of what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, I, I look at these moments and I'm like, man, how, like, how? Like, you just never know. Yeah. And you just say yes to something and then it just completely changes your entire yeah. life, right? Yeah. You're pretty like, young guy, can... right? It sounds like you're in your mid-20s. 29. Turn 30 29. Okay. You know, the cool thing is, is I think the older we get, the more, the more we start to believe the bullshit that things can't change. And, and I know that like in your thirties, especially your late thirties, you're like full on inoculated to doubt, like, like doubt and, and resistance to things changing or like your baseline, you know, um, which is bullshit. It's just real bullshit. And and I think the magic of being young is like you can you just think that things can happen. I mean, I I was 25, ended up working for a company in England. I mean, it was just like happy accidents along the way. And one day they're like, uh, okay, 
uh, here's an org chart to our company. What Here are all the roles that are open. This is the oldest British car automaker in history. Jeez. What, what role would you like to do? And I was like, because I didn't know better. I didn't know to not think that this is possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, uh, I'm like looking at like all the things like engineering, you know, like literally like engineer, quality engineer, like all this stuff. And I'm like, um, I kind of know some stuff about the internet. <laughs> I'll be the, the internet marketing guy. And they're like, great, here's uh, 30,000 pounds. Go build us a website and, and like go hire an agency and get this shit done. And next thing I know, I'm like in like, you know, design meetings in London and blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like building the airplane as it's like taking off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that's the magic of being young and not knowing better. And I, and what I'm trying to do all the time is, is like remind everyone, like, like the movie Hook with mm-hmm. Robin Williams, like magic still exists. I and mean, no matter yeah. what your age, like you can get, come back to it. And, and I mean, I can't even tell you like how many of my clients like ha- are in a similar space that you were. And they were like, they've been very comfortable with their corporate jobs. They're making great money. And they really want to live in a van, you know, like that's like actually what they want to do. Like if they could just like flip a switch, they would have a camera. They would be working for doing this kind of thing. They'd be telling stories and they'd be living in a van, but the, the hook and the prison, the velvet handcuffs of comfort and, and like the nice house and all of that stuff, like gets them stuck. And they're like, I don't know what, I've done with my life. And from yeah. the outside, you're like, what are you talking about? You're having a great time. Like you're in this beautiful house. You got a beautiful wife. Like, and they're just like begging to get back into that place. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's amazing that like, that, that's your story. Like your story is like, nope, I, I refuse to not believe in magic. I refuse to believe that like something's not going to work out unless I step through it. And, and that's the pattern I'm seeing in your life. It's like, I'm just going to take this risk. I'm going to fucking go to to Utah I'm going to like, you know, dab, put my finger in a little bit or my foot in like, you know, the office world. And you're like, hell no, like this is not yeah. for me. Yeah. And that's your, did you grow up religious at all? I did. Yeah. yeah. I grew up in the um, Pentecostal church and then yeah. I was non-religious. And then when I went to Utah, I became Mormon. And when I moved from Utah to Salem was when I was like the most active uh, Mormon at the time. Yeah. Um, and now I would say I'm not, I'm not religious I don't believe in like the congregation of of, of religion at the moment. Yeah, but definitely, definitely still like religious, and I pray and, and things like that. But so, so how did like your spiritual formation like in inform or lead you? To, I mean, like you said, you pray. Like, <laughs> does that mean you ask for help along the way in this path? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it's it's a, yeah. uh, I think for a while I, I like wasn't praying, and then I I recognize like it it's hard for me not to believe in God, right? Like right. to see all of the the miracles that have happened in my life and the things that like, that I've that I've the places that I've been and the things that I've experienced. I'm like, there's there's no way that God doesn't exist, right? Um, so. It, it's yeah it's like asking for help recognizing his his like light in our lives in those moments and like recognize that he's like walking beside us as we go along these paths mm-hmm. and sometimes he's like pulling you and you're just not listening and and like people say like 
oh, the energy or, or the energy felt right. Like I say that all, all the time, like the energy, it's about the energy and like your experience and like the, the way things feel. Um, and so it's, it's confusing. Cause it's like, I believe in like this whole like universe energy thing, but I also believe in God. And there's, to me, there's no difference between the two, the way people talk about them. Right. Uh, right. And so that, that's like where I'm at currently. And it's, yeah. it's appreciating the things that he's provided for me and, and recognizing that and acknowledging it. That's incredible. So what's this, so this documentary that you're putting together with the story, man, like how much does that play into it? Like just the, like the idea that there's an outside force participating somehow, is that in there? Um, no, I think for me, honestly, I mean, the, the outside force was the, the big influence on it. It felt just like every time I'd talk about the stories that I want to tell, Mm-hmm. It just seemed like someone's like, oh, my God, you need to talk to so-and-so. Like, that's such a, like, that that makes yeah. so much sense. And then I've been, like, being like, oh, I don't know. Like, I can't work in these projects because I, like, it's hard for me to work and not get paid for things. <laughs> and I'm like, now I found myself into a position where, like, I have a great steady income with one client. And then I have a bunch of other client work that comes in as time goes on. Yeah. And I'm like, I, these, like, my experience in sharing these stories matters so much to me because I, I, I want like other little black kids to feel heard and seen and brown kids and and feel like they can do anything. And that is like more important to me at this moment. And I meet other black and brown people in my experiences. Like the other day I went surfing and, and I was, it was me and two other black dudes and we're surfing and then we see this other black guy out there and I'm like, what the fuck? Like (laughs) I had like it, it was so powerful because I'm like, this is like, I like, this is stuff you dream about. Yeah. Like being able to go out there and feel comfortable and being in your own skin and talking the way you talk and just everything. And like, didn't have to change who I was being around them. And that was so fucking dope. And I'm like, dude, you got to fucking tell these stories. Like it just kept hitting me over the head over over and over again. And like, those are the signals from like the universe or God or however you want to put it in. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, I got to just fucking tell these stories. And, and I, I, man, <laughs> this year has been a crazy one. And when I, I would, I got hired to shoot a rafting trip, mm. um, photography, still images. And so I still shoot some still stuff, but it's usually like based on whatever the project is. I don't say yes to everything anymore. And, um, Mm-hmm. I'm shooting this rafting trip and I'm this woman's like, Oh yeah. Like what, is this what you do full time? I'm like, no, I'm actually a filmmaker. And she's like, no way. My husband's actually a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You guys should talk. And so I was like, yeah, it would be cool to talk to him. Like, I, don't, I don't know anything about him. Um, and we start talking and this guy ends up being a very important person for Endeavor films, which is like a huge film production company. I don't like they, they do, all of like a large portion of very big Hollywood films. Mm-hmm. And so then he's like, afterwards, he's like, I, I like you as a person. Like, I want to see what we can do to like, try to get you in the industry. And mm-hmm. there needs to be more black voices. And I have this big yeah. project that I really, really want to do. And the, the smaller one that I'm working on now is kind of a proof of concept so that I can do this larger pro- project. And he put me on the phone with the guys, uh, the HR from Endeavor. And they're like, I love this. Uh, who also happened to be black, which was, that was such a crazy experience. Cause mm-hmm. <laughs> like talking to him and like this, uh, through our phones of zoom yeah. meeting. And he's like, can you, can you see me? And I was like, Oh, your video's not on. And he's like, Oh, my bad. One second. And he turns it on. And I was like, 
<laughs> just like shocked because it was another black dude and i'm like what the fuck and he's like yeah we actually like this story and like it how like where are you at in this project and i'm like i'm working on a pitch deck i should have it done and then i just never sent it because i was just afraid and then and and that's been like a couple of months now and now i'm like all right dude just fucking start doing these stories like the universe is being like do it i will give yeah. you anything do it yeah 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 you better fucking do that i'm gonna find your damn van and then i'm gonna start rocking on the side yeah. of it, dude uh okay well here's a couple things number one uh i'm all in whatever you want for me even if it's just encouragement i don't give a shit like you want me to be out there rock climb with you guys i don't get like just mentioning i don't care anything you want i'm all in because i think this story is profound there's um Real Rock, I'm sure you've heard of Real Rock. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're doing a story on people of color, uh, ice climbing. Yeah, with uh, Conrad Anchor. Conrad Anchor, I mean, he's kind of, you know, big deal. We've talked um, on the phone when I was doing a climbing in color and he wanted to work together and I just it didn't. It's one of those universe things again where I'm like, the universe has tried a thousand times. Yeah. <laughs> and I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't pull the trigger. And now I'm like, all right, dude, you just got to fucking do it. You got to do it's it. It's really funny. I, <clears throat> yeah. It's really funny that you, uh, have this part of you that's like, man, I've been hitting o- hit over the head with this, and I'm finally getting getting it through my head. But at the same time, much of your story is like, you it, they, you didn't have to get it hit over the head. You knew you needed to make a move, and that came from within. You know, you had you seem to have both of those things going on in your life. Yeah, call it balance. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sometimes I think part of it is like we're all like kind of dumb and like we need like the repetition like to you know hey asshole like wake up like there's like we're trying to get your attention here but seriously yeah. some of the times no, the yeah. ways that we like to make decisions in our life yeah. you know like i'm very proactive and everything that you've experienced ronald's had very similar types of experience where you just snap your fingers and you make it and it, and it is so you know it's been amazing like that things can fall into place really quickly um that's a that's a tool to but but that that falling into place comes from action um, and saying yes to it. Like I didn't need to get hit over the head. I just had an idea and I knew it was right. But other times and the same person yourself, myself, I know Ronald's been hit over the head with, with you need to do this in his life um, with some stuff. And at the same time that the other tool is the ability to get hit into the head and say, yes, finally, you know, it's just, you know, uh, finding that path in life has a lot of tools on the, on the, um, to be able to, to navigate it and, and thrive. So, Definitely. Yeah, it's cool. I think, I, I feel like the, like, I don't know, the, the thing for me is like, oftentimes we talk about these things like it's so easy, right? Like we, like you think of something and you want to do it and so you just go and do it. But the hard part is that no one really shares the struggle, right? Like we yeah. always like paint these stories to make it look like it's so easy. And I'm like, it's it's not fair because then everyone thinks it's so easy. So then they go and try it and then they get hit over the head once. And they're like, yeah, why isn't this working for me? Like it's working for so-and-so. And I'm like, the, 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 the journey is what people need to share more often. Yeah. Like, like this hasn't been easy. I lost all my clients and then I was negative a thousand dollars. didn't know how I was going to even get out of it. And I had to like open a separate account just so I could get money from doing Postmates uh, to be able to pay my rent and like things like that. And, and like going from that to then trying to get into video and not having any clients and living out of my bus and having it not be finished. And so I was like, the craziest part about this whole experience of moving into the bus is when I, when I first 
moved into the bus. It wasn't finished, right? And I still had like junk and shit in here. So I didn't have anywhere to stay. So I would literally go to the building that my production company, the production company I used to work for, they moved out of and moved to a different building. And I still had the keys and a key fob so I could get in. And so I would sleep there, come here in the morning, try to work on the bus to get it cleaned out. And then I finally got it cleaned out after like four days. And so I'd like go and sneak there at night and sleep and then come over here and work on my bus. And I'm still trying to be like a freelancer at this time. And I'm like, that's the journey that no one talks about, right? Like it's not fucking easy. And most people, most people don't want to deal with that. Like most people, why don't you just go get a fucking job? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your resume is good enough to go work somewhere. Like, go have a job. Why did you quit working for the production company you're working for? If that's the case, and so it's it's like that kind of stuff that that I don't want it to just be known that like, oh yeah, I thought about doing this and I did it, and then I got a camera, and then that worked out. Because it's not it's not all been that easy. It's been a struggle as well. Like, it's not. I don't know. I I just there's. I think um, the universe, you know, opens the door. You have like beginner's luck right to kind of push you along and then what it throws at you is endless suffering which is the question of like are you really going to do this asshole like is this are you in because if you're in then you need the suffering to to squeeze out all the bullshit in you and to really like hone who you are and build your character and make you of actual value to the earth because there's a million people who will do it if it's easy and very 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 few who will do it if they have to suffer and Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with suffering because I finally realized after a lot of darkness that like shit, every like giant bank breakthrough in my life, like everything that like really matters to me has been preceded immediately preceded by intense long ass fucking periods of darkness, (laughs) like bottom of the barrel. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what it's going to be like on the other side. But I'm just going to walk into it and, like, feel the infinite danger and the infinite darkness and face the fucking devil. And and then afterwards, it's like, oh, okay, I'm glad I did that. I'm really, really glad I did that. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, like, you can't do it. You can't do it. And, like, you can't really enjoy the spoils of war unless you're, like, ready to go to battle, I think. Um, exactly. And I'm so glad you brought that up. I'm super glad. What's the name of the uh, po- I'm sorry, the documentary you're producing right now you're making? Um, so it's called it, it's it's essentially just going to be a docu series and just like mm-hmm. telling a bunch of different stories. It's going to be on a YouTube channel uh, just under my name Kenny X Hamlet, K E N N Y X H A M L E T T. And so, yeah, working on those now. I've already shot one and I'm shooting another one on Sunday. Um, I also have a couple of other projects that I've been toying around with. I think podcast, but I don't, I just don't want to spread myself too thin. I've done that yeah. before yeah. and I'm trying not to at this point. So I, I think I'm just going to stick to the storytelling and the video format. Um, just kind of doing it in a way that no one's doing it at this point and, and talking about real things, but shooting it like it's a Stoke film or yeah, uh, like a Patagonia type film where it looks beautiful, but talking about real things. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, uh, the last thing I was going to say is, um, have you heard of Richard Rohr? Richard Rohr, no. He's a Franciscan monk who, like, the Catholic Church doesn't really want to accept him, but he's, like, you know, he's kind of an, a renegade monk in, in Albuquerque and and uh, who's probably been one of the most helpful individuals in my entire life. I've, I've never met him. He doesn't know who the fuck I am. But his books have have impacted me greatly in hearing him, some of his talks. 
And the reason I bring him up is because he talks about the power of nature to heal. Yes. Uh, and it's, uh, he, and he spent, I think, 13 years as a chaplain in, in uh, the worst penitentiary in New Mexico. Um, and so he's got a lot to say about healing from darkness. Um, and nature is like this universal, like, balm of healing. It's incredible. Uh, and, and I think what you're tapping into is like the lack of accessibility for people of color. And, and now that you're starting to, dude, I love that fucking surfing story. That's, that's amazing. Like that's, that like makes, you know, I'm trying not to cry over you. That's incredible. Um, so this, I think this story that you're telling the series is, is like, we want to hear it, you know, like the world needs to hear this and, and the world's looking for healing and for paths uh, and I definitely want to talk to you about all this offline. I've got some questions for you and, and just curiosities around it, but this is awesome, man. So what's the best way to, to track you, follow you? Oh, the last question is when this shit gets picked up by the big time and you're like, you know, walking down the red carpet, can I get your word that you'll come back and talk to us? Absolutely. <laughs> all right, dude. <laughs> so how do we find you? How does people find you? How do they support you? What can we do? Um, Instagram and YouTube, both the same, Kenny X Hamlet, uh, A-E-N-N-Y-X Hamlet. Um, I think on Instagram it's Kenny.X.Hamlet. Are you doing Patreon or, or, or any other kind of like fundraisers or anything like that? I don't at the moment. Um, I don't. No, not not on that shit, dude. We want to, people want to throw some money at that. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. I might have to then. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't really think about that. I've like, for me, it's been like. I put myself in a position now that, that I feel like I have the time and the resources to do it. And so I might yeah. as well, like I own all my own camera gear. Like I'm basically a production studio on wills at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, not basically I am. <laughs> so it's um, now I'm like, it's just time to tell the stories and, and, and do it and do it, do it not for myself, but just for like everyone else, the little, yeah. the little version of me that wanted to, that didn't know that this world existed. And now this world has like helped me immensely. So I, I just want to just make little other, like other black and brown kids feel like they can do this shit. Yes. And yes. So ill and, and just be right in the universe by just getting out. That's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Uh, well, I'm all in dude. Uh, anything else, Daniel? Oh man, just appreciate you. Thanks for sharing the story. I, uh, maybe a shout out to Portland ADX, ADX Portland. That's where I met Kenny. Um, he rents a little space there. I rent a little space there. And, uh, you know, I guess for people who, you know, are looking to take a step in their lives, maybe that they haven't uh, creatively or toward creativity or toward what's in their heart instead of maybe as much in their mind, uh, finding a space to get into where other people are doing the same thing opens a hell of a lot of doors. Um, so I appreciate that place. And thanks for being open to the conversation and sharing your suffering and sharing the successes. I'm a huge proponent of that entire journey. Looking forward to climbing with you someday. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, take, take care of yourself. I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how this progresses and, and, um, you know, I'm all for your success. Like this is, you know, if, if you get anything out of this today, Kenny, that know that you're fucking on the right path and you're doing it, man. <laughs> At least that's according to me. Of, <laughs> that's a part of my mantra these days. I keep trying to, I like have a mantra now where I'm, I'm like, 
giving myself the self-respect that I need and praising myself. And one of those, one of my sayings is like, you're doing the right thing. And like, you're, you're, you're on the right path. Just like reminding myself constantly. Uh, it's, it, it gets hard. And you're like, maybe I just got to go back to the office. <laughs> no, no, dude. Amazing, man. Thank you. Kenny. Appreciate you, man. Yeah. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Welcome to uh, Cutting for Sign. We just interviewed um, Kenny Hamlet. Kenny Hamlet. Kenny X Hamlet. I wonder if his middle name is Xavier. Are there any other options? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm excited about uh, that. Was I'm not excited. I'm I'm impressed. I am moved. I am um, inspired. I'm convicted. Um, you know the. He, I think there's, you know, when I was talking about like our, uh, when we lose the belief in magic in our life, that things can change when we like get separated from that. It's really easy to be cynical about, well, that's possible for someone else because, you know, let's take him for instance, he's single, he lives in a van, you know, he has less things holding him down for him to take these greater risks. And and I think that that cynicism is just a trap. It's a complete trap. Completely. And, and I and I was glad to hear that he was older than I thought he was. <laughs> because as you get older, it's easier to stop believing in the magic and the coincidences and the and the clues that are, arrive and all those things. And and I love what he's fi- finally found. Basically, it distills to, I want to help little brown kids know that they're going to be okay. And so, like everything the container for everything is him wanting to help people and i think probably most of any of our callings is that like how can i be of service and that's the hero's journey is like you're going to go through all of it you're going to go through the fights you're going to you know meet the final boss fight but the point of it all is is how is this going to help others and and that's the same with 12 steps 12 step help someone else so when you can when you can begin to thread, I'm passionate about this. My heart feels most alive when this is happening, and this other piece of helping others. Not to say, and it's not to say, you have to like directly give someone a, do- a dollar or something like that or clothe them, but but even inspiring, even in your retelling of your tale, it begins to heal someone's mind. Yeah. That's that. I think that's when the, you've got those things together. That's when magic is like full force in your life. Yeah, that was my I thought one of the most poignant parts, not only in this discussion, but in all of the discussions we've had. Mm-hmm. You mentioned I hadn't heard it articulated this way, but that when we get into maybe 30s, 40s, or just as time goes on, that part of you, there is more resistance to, I yeah. can do this. And you are overcome with maybe doubt or that is to say reasons where you can't, why you can't do yeah. that. And you're also pretty smart at that time. And maybe you've, you know, the world's kicked you, you know, a lot. Um, and then, so there's, there's, there's empirical evidence that it's hard and that has taken your power down. So you have less, less energy. You're also a little older. You have less. You. It's just like there's yeah. a lot of reasons yeah. why, that build up over, and then you put another decade on top of that. Well, okay, but it's not what's actually true. Like the truth. Yeah. The truth is that the laws of of 
of how to thrive still apply equally, you know, and I, I might be a little off on some of this, but the gist here is that, you know, like you said, the magic can still happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Cynicism, resentment, regret, those things. If they're speaking to a person, uh, there is some value there. It can inform you, but if they're shutting you down or limiting your scope or making the world small, you know, there's a creative process that needs to take place and can. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like that phrase. There's needs to be a creative process that needs to take place. That's interesting. I would, I would use like inner healing. I would, you know, use all kinds of self-helpy kind of things, but I, but I like the idea of a creative process because, um, that's less invasive, right? Like it, it's like, it, it seems less painful, (laughs) Well, I think, yeah, but, um, and I think that any of this starts with like the idea that like, is, can I trust this enough? Can I open the door in my heart enough for a brief moment to believe that like there's some smidgen of hope yeah. that something can change in my life? Yeah. Right. And then, and that is, is like, that's like looking at a field of uh, fall, fallow. Is that the word when it's not? Yeah. That's from God know, fallow. Yeah. Looking at a place. I had a dream last night hmm. and I just remember it right now. And I was in a field that was going to be a vineyard, but it was really overgrown. And there was shade on this side and shade on this side. And there's a strip right down the middle mm. where you're like, if the sun arced this way, it mm. would be sunny all the time. Mm. And I remember asking the person I was with, who's a, who's a winemaker. Uh, and in the dream? Like, yeah. Do, does this, does the sun arc yeah. here? And yeah. he was like, yeah. And I just remember standing in that. And I was like, the fact that there's this much sunlight. Yeah but the arc sun arcs in a certain way makes this right here as capable of growing anything as if this was a whole sunny field with perfect light. Yeah. And I just remember it's so important just to stand in this and feel that. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Like you get all of the, I, what I like and why I say creative processes. Yeah. Let's say you've got a, an injury that you can't move around as much. Yeah. Let's say you've got um, some anxiety or like a mental illness situation right. that you have to manage. And let's say that you, you know, in, in some case having a, um, uh, like the financial burdens, like all the, the fill in the blank, right. There can be mm. so many problems that build up. But then what I like is just think, think lemonade out of lemons led into gold is, let me just take all of the bads and goods, the, the, the mass of my life. Let me lay the, organize them out on a table, look at my life and just be like, Let's make what we can out of this. Let's yeah. make the best thing we possibly can. We get the brainstorm. You start talking about it. And I think they it always surprise a person what they can come up with compared to what they think they can come up with. I think that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And maybe a guy like Kenny doesn't need to do it to that extent, but that guy, he's got some tools, man. He was working. He it. does. He really does. And I was I'm, like, he's, he's, I liked how he was sharing both, his mistakes in that process yeah. of like, so the guy he mentioned, so I mentioned a film called real rock. It's a, it's a, it's a rock climbing series. that has been around for 20 years. And they, every year they, they showcase uh, um, some small films that rock climbers make. And these are the best of the best of the best rock climbing films ever. They, they've become, they, they are who national geographic goes to, to like get yeah. this kind of stuff. And he mentioned a guy named Conrad Aker, who is like, he is the godfather of all climbing. Like all arrows point back to this guy, like no matter what kind of climbing you've done. And Conrad, um, you know, reached out to him to work together. 
And, and if, you know, that, like, if you're in the jujitsu world, for instance, like, that's like the Gracie, the King Gracie coming to you and like, you know, let's do this. And, um, or painting Bob Ross, like when I work with you, (laughs) but, uh, (laughs) no comment. (laughs) Bob Ross is shit. (laughs) I'm just joking. But, uh, but I love that. He's like, he's like, I fucked that up. And, and I think, I, God, all of us have. I mean, we've all been in that situation where, Even like, if you just haven't answered the call for five years, that would be like that. And you know, when he was talking about that scenario where he's like, "I haven't sent the deck to this company that wants to work with me," and and you know, we're gonna have a guest on here, you know, hopefully soon. That I was like terrified of sending an email to, mm. and I was like, "I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I gotta do." It. I sent it, Huge. and they're like, "Yeah, we'll talk to you." And I was like, Huge. "Holy shit!" Huge. That's that's Mike. Uh, McDonald sending that letter to Paulo Coelho. Yes. And I, I actually, I actually have this part of me that wants to write fan letters. So I started doing about one. My, my goal is to do one a month, Yeah, you know, and just F it, man. It's not, yeah. it's not conditional, but the point is, is that what you're speaking to take the action, make the phone call, you know, you'll run into feeling annoying. You'll run into feeling like it'll never get to them. You'll run into feeling um, like, you're not good enough. Yeah. You know, all those things, ignore all of that, yeah. you know, or accept all that and yeah. do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. Yeah. I, I wanted to say that while we were talking, cause that's what, and I totally get that he's suffered. And, and I was really glad that he brought it back into yeah. that. Cause I made a comment about snappy fingers and it's done. And there's an element of like, sometimes you just, it just falls into place naturally. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Sometimes but, it does. It absolutely does. But but I think that those piece, like those moments are bookend. Like that's exactly. a bookend. Exactly. Yeah. That's like then, then followed by a shit ton of very hard work and yeah. grind and hustle and, yeah. and fear and doubt. And will this ever work out? And can I get it? And then there's another like little like book yeah. into that. That's all worth it. I'm going to jack this up, but I know that in the ad- adventure world, there's the, these phrases number. It's called like, um, I'm going to jack this up. I know I am. Uh, they call it like type one, type two, and type three fun. Hmm. And type one fun is like when you're like having a good time right now, you and I are experiencing type one fun. This is great. Yeah. Type two fun is like when it's a little hard in the process and, but you're still like, this is hard, but I'm having a good time. Yeah. Type three fun is when it sounds like a good idea. And then as you get prepared for it, you're like, maybe this isn't a good idea. And then as you're in it, you're like, this is a terrible idea. And I can't believe this. And I only want this to end. An example of that would be like climbing Mount Everest. But something that you feel the fun kind of been being done with it. The fun comes afterwards. Yeah. And and you like get to the end of it and you're like, oh, that was amazing. I could be yeah. jacking up it. They could they could call that suffering. I can't remember if it's either type one, type two, or type three, fun or suffering. <laughs> It's all the same. It's all the same, right? It reminds me of a Matthew McConaughey joke where he's talking, or not joke, but he talks about, uh, oh, shoot, I might have just forgot it. But it's like um, uh, delayed satisfaction. And, you know, yeah. I've heard that that term around a lot is, is if you push satisfaction off, that satisfaction can be a lot, a lot more poignant and real. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. almost like, like you said, like, type one type two and type yeah almost has like a weight like one is cheap and easy and one is like yeah that's exactly right that's exactly right huh and a lot of that has a lot of this process we're talking about i think has to do with that sacrifice and it's hard but you know it's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. and you get rewarded in these ways that are you know 
opportunities, a feeling. You know, he he was talking about, I might be putting words in his mouth right now, but he said something about falling in love with a process or it's part part of the process. He said the word process or the journey. And I'm like, that's it. Like you have to be in love with the, like all of that in order to enjoy the thing that you think you want. And, and you can apply that to freaking anything. Like you just have, you know, if you want to go run a marathon, well, it turns out you've got to run for 40 weeks beforehand consistently to get there. And and if that is yeah. spent in misery, it's probably not going to be sustainable. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you have to be, I think one of my old instructors used to say, always happy, never satisfied. Mm. Both of those things need to happen at once. Otherwise, and I'm actually a pretty big yeah. promoter, proponent of this idea. If you spend your time, if you if a person spends, I spend all my time in a state of sacrificing for the future um, and or wanting something in the future, then when the time comes that I achieve that thing, I have been practicing a, practicing a state of being mm-hmm. that is looking ahead. And I, I haven't been practicing being able to enjoy life and the moment and the accomplishment. Yeah. And so practicing both of those things at once, being able to suffer and also embrace, like you're always at the end. Yeah. Like I'm kind of always at the end, but yeah. I'm also going somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I mean, I think this year I've flourished creatively because I've fallen in love with both of those things. Yeah. You know, like I'm like the grind in it and, and the perceived feeling of the end. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the end's going to feel like. I really don't. I have my goals around yeah, those yeah. things, but like, but I know that like, I can't let just one or the two of those be yeah. the thing. Like I've yeah, got to be true. both of them. That's really interesting. That's great, man. Thank you guys for joining us on cutting for sign. Um, come back. We've got more folks. Thanks for, I think this was number 10. So congrats to us. Ten. Good job, man. <laughs> yeah, dude. You as well, man. Thank you for, I don't know if you know this, I wasn't going to do this until Daniel goes, Hey, you ready to start a podcast? And you were like the, you know, hundredth road sign that I was like, Oh, I got to do it. So thank you. It's, it's changed my life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah.